You may know you're listening to this show along the Marketing Podcast Network, but did you know there are other great shows on MPN to help your business? Christy Heiler hosts a fantastic podcast called Own It. Christy, tell us more about the show. Own It is all about celebrating women and non-binary advertising agency owners. We talk about buying out of the Boys Club of Advertising because less than 1% of ad agencies are owned by women. And where can people subscribe? You can find the podcast at untilyouownit.com. We're also on the Marketing Podcast Network at marketingpodcast.net. And of course, you can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. You heard her. Go subscribe. This episode of Uncorking a Story is brought to you by Mike Carlin's latest novel, The Ruin of Souls. You can purchase The Ruin of Souls in paperback or ebook format wherever books are sold online. Enjoy the show. Well, hello, and welcome to Uncorking a Story. I'm your host, Mike Carlin, and today I have a fascinating interview to share with you featuring Transylvanian-born author Alta Iflin. Now, some of you may remember an interview I did a while back featuring Olga Grushin, who's a Russian novelist, and her book, The Charmed Wife, took a very interesting uh, take on what may have happened after Cinderella met Prince Charming. Well, Alta heard that interview and reached out to me directly to see if she could come on and discuss her forthcoming book, The Wife Who Wasn't. Now, typically, I get pitched authors from publicists. Um, And, you know, of course, this was an author reaching out to me directly. We had to make sure she was legit. So I put our crack team of researchers on the case and determined that, yes, indeed, Alta had the goods and we booked her on the show. And, man, I am so happy that we did. Because uh, my conversation with her, uh, not just about her book, but about her life, her life was um, was fantastic. So that, that's why we call this Uncorking a Story. You know, we're not just trying to dig into the story that an author may have written. We, we want to dig into their story. Um, and we're going to get to that interview in a minute. And I know you're going to love it. But, um, you know, I'll tell you know, she she was an immigrant. She came here from Romania. And I want to talk a minute about immigrant stories because they're they're in the news a lot now, aren't they? Now, Alta and her then husband were dissidents in Romania. At one point in time, before communism fell, they were on a kill list because of their uh, political viewpoints and uh, and stance against the government. Um, but they were granted after communism fell and they were out of danger. They were granted asylum in the United States and entered here as as immigrants. Um, you know, the, even though communism had fallen and they, their, their lives were no longer in danger, the, the, just the, the situation was just kind of untenable for them. So they came here uh, to the United States and they initially wound up in Jacksonville, uh, Jacksonville, Florida. And, and look, I'm from Florida. OK, it's a wacky place. You know, go a little bit west of Jacksonville. You know, go west of the beaches of Jacksonville and you're going to hear banjos playing, you know, and, and if you see somebody who looks like Ned Beatty kind of running through the woods, you know, be careful. Um, that's just a word to the wise. Um, in other words, it's like a different world from Romania, where where Alta was from, but also a very different world from other parts of, of the United States. But it got me thinking about immigrants and immigrant stories. And and my grandparents, my grandmother was an Italian immigrant, and, and she would tell stories about growing up in New York amongst other Italian immigrants and then, you know, not knowing the words for things, you know, so she would go to the grocery store and observe, you know, people 
basically playing charades in order to find what they're looking for. So I remember clear as day, she was telling me that she once went to a grocery store and saw a woman clucking like a chicken to ask where the chicken was. And I'm sure I've mentioned this before because this is one of those memories that really you know, sticks in the back of my head. But that's, that's what they had to do. Um, another woman was looking for a colander. If you don't know what a colander is, it's a strainer, you know, for draining pasta. And um, in limited English, she knew a few words. She said, macaroni and water go in, macaroni stay, water go bye-bye. That's, I mean, to me as a kid, hearing that story, I thought my grandmother was a stand-up. I mean, it was hysterical. You know, growing up where I did, I, I grew up in Stamford, Connecticut. There, there's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of Italian neighborhoods in Stanford, and many of my friends who who I went to, you know, grammar school, middle school, high school with, they were first generation. Um, and their parents, I remember their parents were super strict, especially the girls. Oh, my gosh. You know, I had friends, you know, whose Italian parents wouldn't let them do anything. Um, you know, even when I called, like I, I could feel like the static <laughs> you know, they were giving their their daughters when I called, you know, chip chat and yip yap on the telephone. But but they, they were very strict, but they were also like the most hardworking people I knew. You know, they were also the people who would always give back. And, um, you know, I get upset. You know, I hear people talking about, you know, <laughs> making blanket statements, talking about immigration now. They say, you know, where are we going to put everybody or or why should our, our tax dollars be used to subsidize, you know, their schooling, their meta, you know, their medical needs, their housing, et cetera. But I, I we're better than that. Right. Aren't we better than that? I mean, we've got to remember where we all came from. We have to. And it wasn't easy for our our grandparents and it's not easy for immigrants now. But, you know, I, I do think we're, we're better than that. You know, there's there's so much talk about immigration, um, you know, coming you know, people coming from Latin America to our borders. They're coming in droves. And, yeah, I know. I'm sure a lot of that has to do with the change in, in administration. You know, um, there's no doubt. But but I think what it underscores is that, you know, America is still the land of opportunity for so many people. And and let's think about the stories of these people and what they're willing to sacrifice to come here. You know, their own personal safety. Um, you know, what are they risking? What are they coming away from? Like, what are they running away from? Like, how dangerous is it in, in their home countries? And and that should be the story. Right. That should be the story in my mind that America is still. For all of our faults, you know, for all of its faults, America is still a great country. Um, so that that should be the story. Anyway, this is not a political show. Okay, I'm disingenuous even thinking about this uh, topic. But, um, you know, I felt uh, inspired to share some thoughts on immigration because my guest today is an immigrant from Romania. Um, this is a show where we profile authors. And uh, today we have a Romanian-born author, uh, Alta Iflin, on the show. And, and, and that's... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now I've got to digress again, because last week, this this just reminds me of a story that happened last week. I was in Florida. I think I mentioned this in the last episode. I was very excited, doubly vaccinated, fully vaccinated, decided to go down to Florida to visit my parents. Um, did so for the first time in over 15 months, and, and, and it, it wasn't a relaxing trip. This was not this was not a vacation. You know, it was a solo mission I went on to visit my parents, my kids, my wife. They all stayed home. Um, I went to go and and kind of help out, you know, with them. And, uh, you know, my mother, God love her. She's got no short term memory. None. I mean, she doesn't she, I, you know, she's. I think becoming aware of this now that she doesn't have a short term memory, but, um, you know, it's hard. It, it's hard on my dad and, and, and God bless him. My father's got no patience. So, you know, together um, <laughs> it's a recipe for 
overindulgence in alcohol um, by yours truly. As a matter of fact, I'm not a big drinker, but uh, as my sister said to me, Michael, you're going to need something when you're down there because she has firsthand knowledge. She's been down there a few times. Um, but it's funny, you know, my mother's nickname growing up was always the warden. It's my father always called her. He always called her the warden. And it was because, <laughs> you know, she would always like police everyone's, um, let's say, everyone's enjoyment of uh, of alcohol. She was always uh, policing us. And so she, dad called her the warden. The warden, I, I'm telling you all right now, is now an inmate <laughs> because the phrase is a time for a drink yet, Donnie, was... <laughs> was was muttered a few times um and i'm like mom it's it's nine o'clock you know maybe this is why you have gout i don't know but um it was uh it was an interesting time i did manage because i was a little stressed out to get a massage while i was down there had a fair amount of tension uh building in my body as a result of uh eh, the frank and marie barone interactions uh between my parents and and i met this woman adina uh from uh the elena europa spa down in fort lauderdale uh, near Oakland Park in A1A. And uh, coincidentally, Adina is from Romania. And um, at the end, she asked if she could rub my abdomen. Now, this is not typically done during a massage. Um, not not the legit massages that I get anyway. Uh, but who am I to say no, right? It was a classy place. You know, I didn't think it was going to get weird until it got weird. Um, but, but that wasn't because of anything sexual. It was because <laughs> Dina asked, if I wanted to experience, wait for it, colon hydrotherapy uh, after my massage. And if you don't know what that is, I'm not going to tell you. I'll let you Google it. I politely declined, although I have to say I was kind of intrigued. I was somewhat intrigued. Like, I don't have any issues in, in that area. But hey, if I did, you know, what would that be like? I don't know. Maybe it would be good. Maybe it's good for us. Maybe. I don't know. I didn't try it. It sounded a little weird. But who am I to judge, you know? But if you're if you're near Oakland Park Boulevard and A1A and are in need of a massage, uh, a waxing, um, they do have waxing services, or a colon cleansing, <laughs> contact the Elena Europa Spa and ask for Adina. She's great. She's great. She is also Romanian, um, just like my guest today. She can tell you anything you want to know about Vlad Tepes, also known as Count Dracula. Um, and my dedicated listeners, if you're still listening... Brings us right back to um, Alta Ifland, who's the author of The Wife Who Wasn't, a novel that will be available for sale on Tuesday, May 18th. And you can pick it up uh, wherever you buy books, hopefully your local bookstores or bookshop.org. Now, without further ado, here is my conversation with Alta Ifland. Okay, well, um, hello, everybody. So uh, I was born in Romania and um, I live there for pretty much, well, for uh, almost a quarter of a century um, under a communist regime. I was born in, in during communism. And then as you, I mean, probably most people know, um, in uh, 89, there was the anti-communist revolution all over Eastern Europe. And I uh, participated in it because I was uh, in my early twenties. And actually my first husband, he was a dissident. And we were on a list. We were supposed to be <laughs> killed by the by the regime if the revolution hadn't succeeded. Um, and uh, well, it succeeded, and uh, we were not murdered. <laughs> but we had also applied uh, for asylum uh, to the United States um, prior to that. 
So eventually we did get asylum and it was one of these um, weird bureaucratic situations in which we got political asylum for a regime that actually was no longer existing, no longer existed. Uh, but we decided to come here anyhow. So I arrived in the States in 91 as a political refugee, although the communist regime no longer existed. Yeah. Um, and uh, well, so I've been here uh, this year is going to be 30 years, 30 years of life in the United States. Three decades. Look at that. Well, tell me a little bit more about your childhood. So what was it like growing up in Romania under a communist regime? Like, how, how would you if you had to paint a picture of your childhood for me, what would you say? Well, you know, it's interesting because in, in a way it was very gray. Life there was very, very gray. But I can't say that I had an unhappy childhood. Uh, I mean, most of the population uh, was poor. So we were, you know, poor, but not poor in a, in a, um, I don't know, in, in a bad way. We were poor just like everybody else. So I didn't feel, uh, I didn't feel poor or that we were poor. Um, I had my, I used to spend my vacations in the countryside um, and my grandparents lived the way they used to live. I mean, the way peasants used to live hundreds of years ago. Um, my grandmother didn't even have shoes. She, she used to walk bare feet um, all day. And I remember that um, they used to save the soaps that my father would send them. It was such a luxury for them that they didn't even use the soaps. She, once she opened the drawer and I saw a lot of soaps that my father had sent them over the years, which she never used. <laughs> um, Any idea what she was waiting for? <laughs> It was like it was like one of it was like a present from somebody from the city. For, for them, the city was this rich place, um, and and they would keep all those soaps um, just just because it was a luxury item. I mean, they didn't even have the house in which my grandparents lived. Didn't even have. Um, I mean, the floors were beaten earth. They had floors of beaten earth. Mm. So this is how they lived. Uh, but now in retrospect, when I think of that place where I spend my summers, it seems like a sort of a magical place for some reason. It, um, I was happy there. Uh, I realize now, I didn't realize it at the time, but now I realize looking back that I was happy. I spent all the summers reading, um, you know, hidden inside um, stacks of hay. <laughs> so um, I remember reading uh, 19th century British novels and, this is how I spent my childhood, just reading yeah. and reading and reading. So when you were young, what did what did you want to be when you grew up? I mean, if if not a novelist or I know you became a, a French teacher, but what what did you want to be? Did you have any any dreams of of? Uh... Well, I I always wanted to be a writer, actually. Um, I remember I think I, I wrote my first poems when I was uh, in second grade. Um, there were some sort of a nursery rhymes, something like that. And um, yeah, I always wanted to be a writer. And but of course, since I was growing up in Romania, I always imagined myself being a writer in the Romanian language. I, I never imagined that I would write in English. Um, and actually, as you can see, my, my English is it's not perfect. That, that's the paradox. Um, at some point, when I started to learn French, um, I, I mean, since the beginning, I was the first in, in my class in French. I was always very good with languages. So. Um, I mean, at some point, and also because there is a tradition of writer, Romanian writers writing in French, I sort of started to vaguely imagine myself as possibly writing in French, but I never imagined that I would write in English because I never imagined that I would 
come to this country. So, and, and then eventually I did. And for a while I was a writer without a language because um, after I left Romania, I, I mean, when I left it, um, and this is very hard for an American to imagine, but for me, it, it meant living it definitively. And that included living the language. Uh, because in, first of all, in 91, when I left, the situation in Romania was politically very unstable. I mean, the former regime did not exist anymore, but uh, there was a lot of political instability. And uh, I wasn't sure if I was ever going to come back. Uh, that was one thing. And then um, I just psychologically, I wanted to break entirely with that part of the world, which meant also abandoning the language. So from the beginning, I I left with the idea that I would leave everything behind. But then I found myself a writer without a language because my English was, you know, the, the, I, I had studied a little bit of um, English in Romania, but, you know, the way you study in school, just I, I just had the basics. Yeah. So I could barely have a conversation. So there was no question of being a writer. And uh, I had studied French in school. My French was pretty good, but it was still the French of, a, you know, it was the way you speak of a foreign language. And then I, I enrolled in the United States in a master's program in French. So eventually after a few years, my French became, I mean, became so good that it was almost like the, I could speak almost like a native speaker. So I began to write in French eventually, literature. Um, and my first book was, uh, well, it was my, my dissertation and that was in French, but then my first book of creative writing, that was in French too. Um, so I wrote that, um, I wrote that, when did I write it? In 2004, mm-hmm. uh, when um, I left my job as a French teacher at Arizona State University and I moved to California uh, where my second husband lived. <laughs> Well, the man who became my second husband. Yeah. <laughs> I, I kind of want to find out what happened to the first husband. <laughs> well, he, he's in Romania now. We divorced, so he's he's in Romania now. But did he did he come with you to? He, to- yeah, we came together. Yeah, okay. because he yeah he was the one who was actually he he was the dissident, and this is how we got our political asylum. So we came together, and then eventually we divorced. So in two thousand four, I moved to California, um, where. Um, uh, the man who became my second husband lived. Um, so, hold on, but before we get there, tell me when when you came in ninety one. Yes. What, what was it like? Like you know, you you step off the plane, you know, leaving your your home country. You're you're now in United States, which I'm sure is going to be a culture shock for you. Uh, oh, yeah. What was what was that like? What was what was going through your mind? Well, that's actually a great question because. Uh, yeah, because it not only did I, okay, so first of all, it was the first time I ever um, left the country. I could never, before I uh, I hadn't been able to travel and to travel anywhere. So it was my first experience abroad and it was from there to here. And then not only that, but we, we received political asylum in um, Jacksonville, Florida of all places. <laughs> yes. I, and, I, I'm laughing because I'm from Florida and I know how strange of a place Florida is. Yes. So, so for, for us, America was uh, the America from the movies, you know, this place where everybody was having great fun and everybody was so free in spirit. And there we arrived in Jacksonville, Florida. So first of all, stepping off the plane 
that humid, hot air just hit us. And it felt as if I had arrived on a different planet. It was completely, I felt really as if I had landed on the moon. Mm-hmm. And then the second, the, the second thing I noticed, so first of all was the, the, the atmosphere. Then the second thing, there were no people on the street. Um, because, you know, in, in, in 91, um, I, don't, I, I haven't been in quite a while in Romania, but uh, at that time, people, people didn't have cars. So the streets were all full of people. There were, you know, there were people everywhere. So there I was in Florida and I noticed that there was, the streets were totally empty. Everybody was inside or inside cars. So there were no people walking, basically. There were, there, was no, there were no sidewalks. First of all, there were no sidewalks, which was a shock. So um, that was the first, the, the first shock. And then um, it was actually quite not, not too bad of, a, of an immigrant story. We were, um, they didn't have a place for us ready, the, the organization that was taking care of us. And they put us in a motel by the in a pink motel by the ocean so <laughs> for for several days and that was like paradise it was it it really felt like a sort of a very weird and paradise with pink motels and little plastic flamingos all around and and, and i remember there was the stove i it took me several days to figure out how to use the stove everything was so different like i didn't know what two buttons to push um in a way, it was like a comedy. If somebody could have a camera to film me, um, it, it was like like one of those weird comedies in which everything I touched broke. I didn't know, I didn't know how to turn on a TV. And the t- oh, the TV! In Romania, we didn't used to have commercials during communism. So when I first watched the TV, I couldn't understand where a commercial ended and where a film started. Like I couldn't make the difference between images. I didn't understand what was the commercial and what was the non-commercial thing. It was all like a mixture of colors that had no meaning. Do you remember, do you remember uh, when you were watching TV, uh, were there any programs or shows that you, you felt yourself kind of going back to over and over again that you enjoyed watching? Um, you mean on, uh, at the beginning when I came in, uh, to the States? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like what, what were you watching that you liked? Well, I mean, first of all, as I said, it took me a while just to make sense of anything that was on TV. But after I started to make sense, um, you know, some of my favorite shows were um, the old uh, shows on um, the, our show now, Nick and Knight. Um, Nick and, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, Nick and um, God, um, I'm trying to remember that show with um, with Archie Bunker. What was the name? All, of the- all in the Family. All in the Family. I loved that show because it, the characters reminded me of people that I used to know in Romania. Like they were the, those type of characters. So that was one um, that I liked. Um, and well, later, you know, I, I really became a huge fan of Seinfeld, but that was later. That, by that time, I, I, started, I started to become an American by that time. But I have to ask, what about Baywatch? Was Baywatch on when you were? When they were- it was actually, it was. And I remember, <laughs> yes, it was. Yeah. And I remember I was watching it, you know, marveling, like it, that was like a, the, sort of a symbol of Americana for me. Right. Uh, yeah, right. that, I remember it. Yeah. I just I had to ask because I I know how how big David Hasselhoff had become well I guess particularly in Germany, um, but he, <laughs> I remember he was he was big when the when the Berlin Wall came down I think he even did a concert 
um, when, when the Berlin Wall came down. But I, I, I'm sorry, I had to take a little aside to ask about Baywatch. <laughs> yeah, but I do remember that it was on when, when I came to the States. Yeah, well, probably if I had been a man, it would have stayed even stronger <laughs> in my mind. But <laughs> of course. All right. So you're you're in you're in Jacksonville. You're you're making sense of of television. You're in the pink, you know, the pink hotel by the beach. What did you feel welcome? Did you feel like you were welcomed here in the United States at that time? So, yes, I mean, uh, that was strange, too, because uh, the people, everybody that I spoke with was smiling. It was very nice, which felt like a welcome because in Romania at the time, nobody was smiling. People were I mean, everybody had those gray, long faces. Um, and everybody looked very sad. And I remember everybody at the beginning used to tell me, why aren't you smiling? Because I never smiled and here everybody smiled. So it took me several years to get an American smile on my face. Um, so, okay, I forgot what I was, what was the question? Feeling welcome, feeling welcome here. Oh, feeling welcome, yeah. So yeah, I, I was feeling welcome, but then at the same time, um, you know, it was Jacksonville, Florida, and uh, people had that very strong accent. And uh, so they would, you know, they would notice my accent, of course, right away, and they would ask me where I'm from, and I would say it, and they, and oh, oh, that was another thing. So they would ask me where I'm from, and I would say Romania, and they had this puzzled look on their faces, and then they would say, oh, Lithuania, oh, Bulgaria. So, but I, I know that the situation changed now, you know, because at the time Romania had been so, um, you know, isolated during communism and very few Westerners were able to visit. So I think for this reason, very few Americans actually had heard of Romania. I mean, now, you know, it's different. But at the time, really, when I said Romania, almost nobody you know, <laughs> wasn't, people were very puzzled when I when I used to say Romania. Yeah, yeah. And um, and uh, when was it? I think a, a year after I came here, I got a job at Walden Books, and um, my manager was very impressed that I was actually from Transylvania because I was not only from Romania, I was from Transylvania. And I think it was the time when um, I think that was when the Coppola, the um, Dracula by Coppola came out in yeah, yeah. I think. Right. And, that, and, and that's why she kept, yeah. Is that the one with Keanu Reeves? Was he in that one? As, as no, I don't remember. I, yeah, yeah. I don't remember. But I do remember that she was, She, my manager was proudly introducing me as she's from Transylvania. And then I got a reaction like everybody. But people, okay, people um, thought that it was a joke. They actually didn't think that Transylvania was a real place. Like everybody looked at me and they laughed. Like, And then I realized after a while that they all thought that it was a good joke because they all thought that Transylvania did not really exist. So was was I mean I because I, I, I was I've always been fascinated by by Dracula. Yeah, Bram Stoker's Dracula is one of my favorite books. Was you know it, it, for for a native Romanian, is is there a lot of significance there with with Dracula, or is it something that you, you know you guys don't really like to embrace all that much? Well, see, that's an interesting one too because I mean initially. You know, I just thought, well, it's one of those uh, weird American things and I'm just going to play along. And um, but uh, I mean, now Romanians, after a while, they sort of embrace it, you know, because they think that it's cool. But, you know, when I when I grew up in Romania, uh, Dracula was for us. He, he was neither cool nor uncool. He was just a, a hero who fought the Turks. Yeah. And as it happened, it, it, it was my favorite. I think it, he was my favorite um, among the um, Romanian 
we call them voyevodes, which was the name that we gave to the leaders of. Um, it was not. It was not quite a king, but it you know the the equivalent of a king voivod. So um, he was my favorite um, Romanian uh, leader because I, I remember he, the photo that we had in our history books was really impressive. He had was this very there was something very romantic about, about him, so that's why I liked him. But um, yeah, for us he was a, a hero because I think he won forty something battles against the Turks. Um, so that's that's what he was for us. But and then then of course we turn him into an undead monster. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Well, obviously, there are several legends that are mixed there with, the, first of all, the legend of the legend of immortality. Um, yep. So. So then so you're in Jacksonville. When when do you leave Jacksonville and, and do you leave Jacksonville to go right to Chicago or was there a stop in between? Oh, no, no, no. Chicago was uh, only I never lived in Chicago. That was just a conference. Oh, that's right. You were at a conference. Yeah, it yeah, was yeah. Arizona. Yeah. Yeah. So, no, I lived in Jacksonville for, uh, let's see, for two years. And then I was admitted in the master's program at University of Florida in Gainesville. Okay. So then I and then I also did my Ph.D. there. So I lived in Gainesville for another eight years. So basically, I lived in Florida for 10 years. Okay. And then um, I finished my Ph.D. in 2000. And then I had my first job at Oberlin College. Okay. very good. Very good. So when, so now you, you, you always wanted to be a writer from the time you were young. I'm actually curious about what was it about writing to you that, 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 you know, you felt was a calling? Why, 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 why did you want to become a writer? Yeah, very good question. I think I wanted to become a writer because I always was a voracious reader. I, I mean, yeah, I, that's the thing that I always like to do. I like to read. Uh, so I read I, all my life, and especially in my childhood and in my teen years, I, I read constantly. And I think when you read a lot, that becomes your model, and you imagine that you yourself can write one day. Um, so I think that that was basically my primary impulse. And then I remember, the, actually, the first time that I started to think seriously about becoming a writer was after my um, my elementary school teacher noticed that I was gifted. I remember I was in second grade and we were doing um, what was called composition. Basically, we were writing essays and uh, we were supposed to write an essay about the first snow or the coming of winter or something like that. And I just wrote like several sentences, sentences with a description and she praised me in front of the entire class and she said that I write like a writer. And then I thought, okay, so then that was the moment when I decided to become a writer and I started to write little poems. <laughs> so there you go. And then so but as as you mentioned before, when you came here, you were a writer without a language and you studied French, um, got your master's and PhD. And when when do you start thinking to yourself it's it's time to start writing a book? So well actually uh, so I, I, I wrote, now I realized because at the time, yeah, I never thought about this, but I think my first book was actually in, well, uh, yeah, I, my first, I wrote a book of stories in French. I mean, I wrote stories. Um, I think I started to write my first stories when I was in France. After I finished my master's here, I took a year in France. I, I went to France to study French. And that was in, when was that? 95, I think. 
And I think I, that's when I started to write short stories in French. And in about two years or so, I had a collection of short stories and I published, I published in several French magazines, but you know, living in the United States, I couldn't find a publisher. And I was hoping that someday I would be able to write in English. And then what happened is the, the first real book that I, that I wrote, so to speak, was after I finished my, uh, after, I, after I left my uh, position teaching French at Arizona State and I moved to California uh, with my second husband. And, and then what happened, we were living in this rural area in Northern California and I felt very isolated. I was very depressed. So I started to write this book of prose poems just, you know, just to vent my depression, so to speak, just because I was, you know, I was very isolated and kind of sad. So I, I was writing these prose poems in French in my head and then putting them on the page. And that's when my husband said, why don't you try to translate them in English and I will help you? Because he actually, he, he was in a position to help because he is a poet and a translator from Spanish. And he did help me, um, I mean, I, I would I translated them from French into English, and then he helped with the editing. And by the time I finished that book, I was actually able to write in English. So I taught myself to write in English by translating my first book, which was written in French, mm -hmm. and which eventually I published. I published as a bilingual book. Uh, it's my first um, published book here, uh, Voix de Glace, Voice of Ice. Uh, which I published with a publisher from Los, uh, from Los Angeles, Le Figue Press, a very interesting publisher that publishes, you know, many experimental kind of literature. Yeah. Um, so, so that, that became my first book and, uh, and it actually got a, a French prize for the French version. Oh, uh, congratulations. Yeah. So with, with that publisher, did you have an agent representing you to find that publisher or uh, was it someone you went to directly? No, I, I had no agent. Also, because, you know, usually in poetry, I mean, in poetry, usually, you know, there are no agents. I found them at the, I th yeah, I think it was at the um, AWP conference. Um, and, um, yeah, we, I, I, I think I noticed the, the covers of their books, which look very French. They had like a French aesthetic. And I think they liked my aesthetic, too. And, uh yeah, it 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 just worked. Well, that that uh, that that's a great story. What what about so you you've got a new book coming out in May? Tell me a little bit more about that. Okay, so you're referring now to my my first novel. Yes, the uh, first novel. Yeah, well, actually, that needs to be corrected. So it's 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 my first published novel. <laughs> um, it's not quite the first written novel, but it's the, my first uh, published novel. So that's going to come out in May. And that is called The Wife Who Wasn't. And it's, um, it's a story, well, it's a sort of a cultural clash before, between Eastern Europe and America, just in, in, in two words. Um, so the, the main character is a woman called Tanya, who is from Moldova, who, from the Republic of Moldova. And I think I need here to explain a little bit because probably most people haven't heard of the Republic of Moldova. So the Republic of Moldova used to be part of um, what was called Greater Romania. And then uh, during World War II, it was um, occupied by the Soviets and until 1991 was part of the 
Soviet Union, so it was also a communist country. And then um, in 91, it gained its independence, and now it's an independent republic, uh, which is, which is uh, at, on the eastern uh, border of, of Romania. And the majority of its population is made of ethnic Romanians, but it also has obviously many Russians, Ukrainians. So my main character is um, Russian Moldovan, Tanya. And uh, she marries a California man, Sammy, and she moves to Santa Barbara, California. And this happens in, I think, 1996. So I, I chose this period, I, I chose basically the post-communist um, years because I really wanted to I really wanted to to create emblematic characters that represented that part of the world. I, I wanted to create the the I wanted to capture the essence of that world of, of the post-Soviet world. And I could have chosen Romanian characters. Obviously, since I'm Romanian, my characters are modeled on Romanian people that I knew. But I thought that for an American reader, if I call them Romanian, that may evoke other things in the mind of an American. I thought it, I needed some emblematic characters and that's why I chose them to be to be yeah. Russian. So I, I kind of really struggled with um, the identity of my characters. I, I, re I knew that I wanted them to be emblematic Eastern, Euro Eastern Europeans. So anyhow, I decided that um, a Russian Moldovan would be a, an emblematic character. Uh, but, but basically I wanted to create this, the essence of, of that part of the world. Um, uh, because it, it's a it's a it's a very specific type type of type of uh, character and 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 uh, of of and mentality. Um, so basically, it's a novel of cultural differences and and of uh, a clash between two worlds. Uh, because at the time in in the nineties, there were huge differences between that part of the world in America. Now these differences are much, uh, I mean, have diminished a lot because of the internet and because that world has changed a lot. But at the time, it, it was a very different world. So it's basically a satirical comedy. Um, yeah. Well, I looked at I looked at the uh, the trailer, which I'll post when when this comes out, um, and it it looks it looks fascinating. First of all, the trailer is very well done. Uh, <laughs> it's it's very well done. It's very very professional looking, and it. it's almost like uh, it's very entertaining to watch. And and I was kind of caught up in it, and I'm like, wow, this this looks like something that I would I would really like to read. Um, what, what, what was your thought about making it a comedy? Why, why, why was that important to you? So, oh, but and speaking of the trailer, I actually, um, so that was done by a professional filmmaker, but it was done, I, I, I created it actually, because I, I, I was curious to see if I could do something in, in the genre of, uh, you know, like a Hollywood trailer. Yeah. And, uh, and, and I think, I think uh, it came out quite well. So, yeah. Um, I'm sorry. What was your question? <laughs> no, I know. I was saying, why was it important for you? You know, when you start writing, you you know, your first novel, okay. you know, you could, it could be dramatic. It could be suspenseful. You you chose comedy, and that's near and dear to my heart because I write a lot of comedy. Why was that important to you? Okay. Yes. Yeah. So. Um... Yeah, so as I said, this was not the first written novel that I, that I wrote, but um, but okay, but the the novel that I had in mind, in which I wanted to recreate that that world from Eastern Europe, which now it's it's not quite dead, but it's it changed a lot. But but I wanted to capture the essence of that world, and I realized that this would be the only genre in which I could capture it because it, it, there is something grotesque about about that world. It, it, 
I mean, it, the, the, the communist years and, and also the post-communist years had something very grotesque about them. And it's a type of grotesque that I'm not even sure that it, it, can, it can go across cultural borders. So I, I'm actually curious how, when the novel is going to be published, I'm going to be very curious to see how much the, Ameri uh, the American reader is going to get of the grotesque and the comic. I know the Eastern European reader is going to get it. Um, so, but I did have in my mind, I had some models, literary models. There is in particular, um, there are some, uh, there is a couple of Russian writers, Ilfen Petrov, who wrote together two books, very famous books um, at, in the 90, 1920s in the Soviet Union, uh, 12 Chairs and uh, The Golden Calf. There were two novels that they wrote in which they, uh, they created a satire of the incipient Soviet world with all it with all its grotesque and comic aspects, and so my my novel is modeled on that satire, but it's also made to. I also I wanted not only to create a satire of that world, but also I wanted to be I wanted it to be a double satire. I wanted also to look at the American world with the eyes of someone from an other world. And in this way to, uh, to emphasize in an indirect way for the American reader, certain absurd aspects of American culture too. Right. So in this way, because you have, you have the Americans looking at the Moldovans and, uh, and then you have the Moldovans looking at the Americans. So in this way you have, um, you know, a stranger looking at the other. Um, and, and, and in this way, it becomes what I hope will be a, a double satire. So, right. Right. Yeah, you can get away with it, I think, um, you know, without offending too many people. When, when I, hope, I hope so. Well, I guess you'll find out. I'll find out. Yeah, I, I don't know. So, you know, a, a lot of the people who listen to the show are aspiring writers themselves, aspiring authors. Um, Tell me a little bit about your path to publishing for this particular novel and, you know, how you found that process and, um, and any stories you can share there. So for this particular novel, um, I found my publisher um, on Facebook <laughs> um, and um, yeah, he, um, he's a small independent publisher from Massachusetts, and uh, he's specialized actually in publishing uh, authors that write about Eastern Europe, either writers from Eastern Europe or writers that um, write about Eastern Europe. So I think it was a very um, serendipitous encounter. Uh, I think we just happened to uh, be... Facebook friends with another author of his. Mm. Um, and um, this is how we connected. And I sent him the manuscript and he took a few months to read it. And when I thought that he was not interested, eventually he said, oh, no, I, I love it. Um, so. Oh, that's fantastic. That's a that's a, another great success story you have there. <laughs> what um but you, you did mention that it was supposed to come out in february but now it's been pushed out a little bit what any any you know what was the reason for it moving out uh well you know just the usual i mean uh, you know with covid everything got a little bit delayed because it's it's harder to to work under these circumstances so i think it was just the fact that the publisher got delayed because um, yeah. because of this crazy world we're living in right because now. of this crazy world yes <laughs> 
We, um, uh, it, but it is an interesting time, I think, for or an opportunistic time for authors because you know people have. Yeah, I talk, I talk to a lot of people and they have a lot of time on their hands now and some of them are spending it reading. So that's good news for, for people like you and me who uh, try and make a living by selling books. I hope they are reading. Uh, yeah, I, I, I hope they're reading. Um, so, so now you're in, you're in California now. Um, what's, what's the, what's the climate, what's the environment like uh, kind of, I'm just curious, uh, COVID wise uh, right now in, in California, I know Southern California, it's been, um, you know, gets a lot of coverage on the news, but you're, you're more North, right? Yeah. Um, well, I mean, it's, it's pretty bad like everywhere else, but here, um, I mean, Santa Cruz, um, pretty much everybody, uh, I think, Unlike other places, people wear masks here, um, so that's good. But, um, you know, we're just, life has stopped for pretty much everybody. And uh, I'm actually busier than ever. I, I I used to have a lot of time on my hands, but this year somehow I, I am busier because I, I not only I have this book coming out in May, but I also have a translation that is going to come out in April. And I'm doing revisions right now for that, so I'm busier than ever. Um it so happened that uh, while everybody else is um, has more time to read, I have no more time to read at all. Well, it's good to be busy, though. It's good to be busy. Yes. Um, so I'm curious. You know, you you mentioned you know when you when you came here, you felt like you had to give up, you know, uh, Romania and, and almost give up the language. Have you been back since 1991? Uh, that's a good question. Um, I was back, but okay, so in 30 years, I went back three times for a total of less than a month, mm-hmm. if I put together um, all the time I spent there in 30 years, so it's very, very little. Um, and I actually was planning to go back in 2015 after 10 years of not having been there. And then I had to postpone the trip because I fell ill. And then a lot of things happened and I never managed to go back. So now I really, really wanna go back. I can hardly wait for this pandemic to be over and for me to get my vaccine and to go there. I really yeah. wanna go. Yeah. yeah. And I've, uh... I'd be curious to to talk to you after that, just to understand how how that experience was going. Uh, it's going to be it's going to be a, a very strange experience because at this point there, okay, there are I haven't been there in. Let's see, is it fifteen or six? It's going to be sixteen years, it's, and I know that it's a completely different country. Um, because even when I was there last time in 2005, I, I saw a mall for the first mall that I ever saw in Romania. And I was shocked. I couldn't believe that that they had a mall. It was just so different. And I know that since then, the country has changed immensely because it became part of the European Union. And I actually, I just read an article now that now it's considered um, uh, one of the countries with uh, high incomes. Um, so it made a, a huge, a lot of progress. When I left Romania, just so you understand what country I left, when I left Romania in 1991, the average income, 
which was the income that I had was $40 a month. That's the country I left. And now the country is considered by the, um, uh, I don't know, some, some organization, um, it's considered as one of the countries with high incomes. So it's just a completely different country. Yeah. Night and day from when you were growing up and, and spending your summers in the, in, in the house, in the country with the dirt floor. Yes. Yeah. All right. Um, well, I'm, I'm pretty much out of questions for you, Alta. Um, when, when the book is available, do you have a preferred place for listeners to purchase it at or Amazon or? Oh yeah. So, uh, Oh, good question. Yeah. So when the book is available, um, if they want to buy it, I mean, the, online, the best place to buy it is this new independent platform called bookshop.org, uh, which is a platform that is helping um, independent bookstores all over the country. So everybody listening there, bookshop.org is the best place to shop for books online because this platform is helping independent bookstores. And... Uh, yeah, so otherwise, everybody can buy it in their local bookstore. Uh, and of course, it's going to be available on Amazon too, but that would not be my first uh, choice. Oh, very good. Let's, let's support the independent bookshops. Yes. I agree. A lot to listen. Thank you so much for taking the time to chat with me. I appreciate it. Thank you so much, Mike. And um, uh, I hope uh, everybody is going to enjoy the book. Well, uh, there you have it. That is my conversation, not an interview, more of a conversation, right? That's that's the goal here, to have conversations with people here on Uncorking a Story. Uh, as a reminder, um, Al Tiflin's book, The Wife Who Wasn't, will be available for sale wherever books are sold starting on Tuesday, May 18th. And as you heard, uh, she would love it if you could purchase it at your local bookstore. Give those mom and pop bookstores a, uh, a little helping hand. They could use it after this pandemic. And if you must buy it online, be sure to check it out at bookshop.org. Every time you purchase something there, a little uh, money gets cooked, kicked back to local bookstores. So those are two great options for you. And if you want to catch up on past episodes of Uncorking a Story, there's a lot of great ones out there. If you want to catch up on some of the ones you may have missed, including the one we referenced earlier, Olga Grushin, uh, you could check those out at mikecarlin.com. That's Carlin with an O and not an I. You could also check out all of my books, including, including... The newly released The Ruin of Souls. It's a great one. It's a good psychological thriller. I think, no, I don't think, I know. It's what my English teacher Tom Chris would say. Don't think, no, I know you're going to love it. So if you want to stay up to date on everything else regarding Uncorking a Story, you can go to the website, uh, MikeCarlin.com, sign up for our newsletter. And uh, of course, you can subscribe to the podcast wherever you get your podcast so you don't miss an episode. So now for all the hardworking people, and dogs, because we have a couple of those here at Uncorking a Story. This is Mike Carlin saying thank you very much for listening. And until next time.